Hi there, I'm Carlos, and welcome to the Happy Startup Community Podcast. I'm one of the co-founders of the Happy Startup School, and this podcast is a collection of conversations with fascinating people from the worlds of business, personal development, organizational change, and leadership. You'll hear from many different perspectives, but the thread that ties them together is the vision of making work better so that we can all thrive. My intention for each episode is to replicate the moments I've had a deep and meaningful conversation with someone at our Altitude or Ashram retreats and at our Happy Startup Summer Camp Festival. I picture myself at the dining table, sat across this person, and then someone decides to join us to follow the conversation. That person is you, and so I hope you enjoy listening in. In this episode, I talk to Phoebe Tekel. Phoebe is one of those true multi-potentialites with a finger in many pies. She is involved in many projects, including being a member of the social change freelancer network in Spiral. She's on a mission to understand what it means to be human in this technological age, and see, she sees life as an experiment with no wrong answer. She believes that we could be offering a far richer, more holistic and innovative education to our younger people, and that we need to rethink business and work and personal development. I found this to be a rich and at some points technical conversation, but if you want to build a company and not use the outmoded hierarchical templates of the past, then I recommend you have a listen. You'll get some interesting insights and questions to ask yourself about the horizontal organisation you want to build. Enjoy. I'm really busy June and I've kind of um, decided that July is somewhat holiday time, um, even though, yeah, as you probably have being like self-employed or doing work for lots of different projects there's not really any such thing um as fully on holiday but <clears throat> definitely my tempo has changed um and that's good because it is really hot in london so yeah enjoying a bit of a summer vibe nice yes heat and productivity are not necessarily things that go hand in hand indeed that's why england is i mean yeah I feel like that's why we've got so much done in England, well, really. England used to be super provo- productive. <laughs> yeah, no longer. Climate change will bring England down alongside all the other stuff that's happening. <laughs> I, was, I, was saying, I was talking to someone today, and this weather brings me a combination of both joy and eco-anxiety. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there was an exhibition on at the Venice Biennale and... Um, and it was it was of a beach where everyone's kind of really relaxed, but there's this horrible, like the the idea of it was that there's this horrible awareness that all is not well and that a tsunami might you know appear at any point. But in the meantime, let's enjoy our ice creams. And it was it was like, <laughs> oh god, that really hits home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that is that mindfulness or just plain uh, denial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i guess i guess when animals just you know as animals we just feel like there's not much we can do so i guess enjoy the ride <laughs> yeah um i can remember talking to someone around what was it um yeah it was like oh no the planet's fucked we're all in trouble mm. and it was like no the planet is fine we're in trouble <laughs> Mm. yeah yeah from a kind of Gaian like planetary perspective obviously like what does fine even mean like in a cosmic yeah. sense yeah when a star yeah. like explodes is it fine 
Fine yeah. for who? <laughs> Who's listening? Exactly. That's it. You know, yeah. the, the planet's been around for five billion years or whatever. Mm. Things have hit it. Dinosaurs mm. have died. Uh, still around. <laughs> Exactly. I guess that's quite nice when you hear people say, oh, the planet's fucked. And um, that almost implies that they see us as all interconnected because what they really mean is we are. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, well, fingers crossed. I'm trying not to think about it today. Mm. Um, uh, how am I feeling? I have, I'm feeling a bit disturbed today. Mm. Um, I've been suffering from uh sort of weird back pains um and body pains for the past couple of weeks ever since coming back from oh, altitude actually mm-hmm. um uh which was an amazing time but yeah i i think i came back a little bit broken oh no and i w- i was and wasn't able to talk to you before because i was talking to a doctor about some blood tests and urine tests that have come back mm-hmm. uh and now i need more tests uh so well, i'm sorry I'm to that- hear that kind of space of very raw space of uncertainty mm. <laughs> if that makes sense yeah of of not knowing um so yeah it, on one hand beautiful day everything seems to be rosy but at a more underlying level um a little bit of but fear mm. anxiety and trying not to let stories run with themselves mm. i.e don't google anything no don't do not you can google a headache and get completely terrified so I, yeah. I agree with that so i'm trying to trying to live again is it mindfulness or denial don't know mm. try not to think about <laughs> yeah i'd say that like acceptance but also staying grounded like you want mm. to stay grounded you don't want to get kind of run away with anxiety or fear that's not going to help especially because you have no idea what you know it could just be nothing exactly exactly so that's what i'm i'm holding on to Mm. um and so while it creates for a bit of a um a rocky let's try to think it's like i'm i feel like i'm in a in a um little boat and Mm. and the water's getting a bit choppy and so I'm just like sitting here and what I do find um having conversations always helps take my mind off stuff so mm. while I'm while I am maybe not the optimal kind of podcast recording self I know that this will help mm. so I'm glad I'm very happy the to time help. talk to me awesome yeah I'm happy to help <sighs> if I can talk um, about organizations Exactly. Well, you know, um, so firstly, uh, I, I have this annoying habit of just recording as soon as someone comes on. So mm. it makes it just easier. So it, as long as you're not uncomfortable with what we've just said for the past five minutes, mm-hmm. um, I like to just ease into things and, and I like that kind of raw start. Nice. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the doc that I sent through. I did. I did. I, I liked it. I liked how you kind of mapped it all out um like the kind of audience and and everything some of the things you want to cover together i think it all looks all looks good good okay and it's not something i want to beat ourselves over the head with but Mm -hmm. it's hopefully something that will just guide our intentions Mm. um 
And and the reason why I'm super interested in talking to you, a because you're a lovely lovely lady, <laughs> lovely lady, and and also having to listen to you talk and briefly talk to you, and also having connected with you in the past through a we share and, and some conversations we had last year. But prior, the trigger was meeting you at that seats to meet event, and you talking a bit more about your experience within Spiral and organisations and, and, and structures. Mm. Uh, I, I thought it'd be well. I was very curious to talk to you, um, and from a personal point of view, I think it's very much around my journey of building a business and the kind of business that I would like to be a part of. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure what that is at the moment. I know how I want to feel in it, but how it works, uh, I know it isn't hierarchical and, and structured in the way that I see other businesses as being structured. Mm. But in terms of operationalizing my feelings in terms of a business, <laughs> I have no clue whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I think that's, so, a very, that's a great and very non-hierarchical way to start. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. If more people said that, we'd be we'd have much better organisations. <laughs> well, I am I'm all in for for navigating this period, this uncertainty, and seeing who else kind of wants wants to join me and and inform me on this journey. And you seem to be a very good person to talk to. Um, but for people who don't know you, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, why not start with? Just, uh, I would say, stay, talking about what you do at the moment, which seems to be lots of things, mm-hmm. um, and and then also how you got to where you are now. Sure thing. Um, yes, so I do do quite a lot of things. Currently, I am very preoccupied with projects and work in the space of what we call distributed governance, which I think is really jargony, probably. I'm just so in it now that I'm, I just think that everyone knows what that means but essentially i would i would group the things i work on at the moment as kind of complex systems design um with people so you know with organizations with teams with projects but this kind of design or architecture of how we work together how we organize um how we you know or have chains of command or power how we organize around power or information so um I was speaking with someone recently who commented you're kind of like an architect of the intangible, which I quite like, although it feels a bit grandiose. It's like I'm just really um, trying to trying to help design a world that's got more common sense, really. Um, but so I work in this field of kind of organizational design. Um, there are many different words for the the area that I find myself working in, so self-management, non-hierarchical organizations, um, agile, basically, you know, how do we organize and how do we build companies and organizations in a different way? Um, And I see all of this work as how do we build organizations for uh, complexity? So because we as humans and organizing humans, we are, we're complex, complex systems, like our bodies are complex systems of cells then, you know, collections of humans also form complex systems. And traditionally, we've kind of organized this stuff in very linear and hierarchical and rigid management structures, which was very much a kind of industrial 
age way of thinking, like machine mechanistic uh, way of seeing the world. And so it kind of connects to some of my previous work and ongoing work in systems thinking. Um, I, I work with a really amazing thinker called and, and practitioner called Nora Bateson, who um, is doing some really interesting work with warm data labs and working with complex systems. Um, I have in the past taught at a college called Schumacher College on these topics of systems thinking and helped design courses there. Um, and very most recently, especially in the last year, I've got very involved in the blockchain governance space because I was very curious about this new technology that was coming out and getting way too much hype and interest and seemed to attract all sorts of crazy cats and cowboy characters. Um, but I was very interested in actually, when I actually finally got my head around the technology and understood that it could really, you know, really change, uh, again, how we organize complex systems in terms of kind of storing information and data and potentially even, um, you know, you can even see a future where we have organizations based on, built on the blockchain. I thought this was very uh, interesting and relevant to all of the other work with kind of decentralized systems. Um, I'm aware this might have just been really jargony, so please do um, feel free to, yeah, ask me about anything I just talked about or uh, <laughs> prod me to explain better if I haven't. <clears throat> so what the way what I heard there, um, you talked about organizing for complexity mm -hmm. uh, and with the realization that humans are not simple mechanisms. Mm -hmm. We are not cogs that we fit into some machine and, and you just that cog is a single purpose. Mm -hmm. it, there's much more going on uh, for people. Mm -hmm. um, the way I would then, what was going on, thoughts that sprang to mind were um, in this age where where there seems to be a lot more knowledge work happening and essentially we're needing to be to tap in to what makes us really great as human beings which is our creativity and our and our ability to think abstractly um if we're going to use those type parts of us we have to accept that they're also part of a more complex whole um and and there's the complexity of a person but then a group of people working together is like complexity on top of complexity. And so this sounds like this mm. idea of systems thinking and understand or trying to understand how these complex systems work <clears throat> is is part of how do we make how do we how do we make work work for people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um exactly. And I think it's sometimes very overcomplicated and bit over glorified with these terms like self-management and uh, non-hierarchical this and distributed governance it can all sound very complex but actually it's really you know in a way it's quite simple it's like we are as you say we're complex beings we are emotion you know we're emotional you know we have memories different experiences different um views on the world and then you know you bring people together and you think that it's going to work like as you say, putting cogs together in a machine and, and then it doesn't. And we just, I don't think we've applied intelligent system design to how we, how we kind of bring people together and how we create systems and even 
spaces for people to work really well together. Um, I think it's a very, I think it's crazy because there's so much potential there. If you think about how much your environment or your feelings or your relationships can completely affect and influence what kind of work you do. Like everyone knows that when you go into work and you, you feel confident and safe and respected, you do your best work. And ideally, we're creating environments where everyone can do their best work and everyone can feel, you know, not just inspired is kind of like the, the higher, like the top of the Maslow pyramid, but even just safe, comfortable and confident would already be, you know, massive. Um, mm. And I think there's on the one hand, there's that there's kind of the well-being side of things of like, how do we actually create organizations and environments where people feel good and it works for people and we don't have these power asymmetries and toxic work cultures that emerge. But on the other hand, it's also that, you know, we talk about the future of work, but actually it's that conversation is often quite divorced from the, the conversation around what do, will we have a future at all? Like what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation um, so I don't think we should have future of work discussions without having the discussion on, you know, work for what, like what purpose are we working for and, and when do we, you know, how do we bring in the conversation around climate change and sustainability and all of these things as well. Well, yes, <laughs> the future is looking very, very hazy as it should, as it always does. Um, but it feels like there's a perception the future is very, very hazy at the moment. Before we dive into the future, um, I thought if we could just explore a little bit more about the past. Um, and I'd like to get to know a bit more about you, really. And, <clears throat> yeah, what what has inspired you or pushed you or driven you or what chain of events has made you has guided you into this this way of thinking and, and looking at the world and, and wanting to take action in the way you are? Mm, that's, really, that's a really nice question. Um, I'm lucky because actually someone, someone interviewed me just a couple of days ago and they f- focused a lot on, on my childhood. I was like, oh my gosh, feeling a bit like cross-examined. But um, so it's all quite uh, recent in my memory. Um, because I do think, thinking about how did I end up um, pursuing obviously quite an alternative way of life, like it's, I've definitely opted out of some of the trajectories that I was kind of naturally on. Um, So I think it's probably worth mentioning that I studied biological systems and science um, at very, in a very academic place at Cambridge University, which was really intense and and very very much a, a kind of lived immersive experience of a bit of a factory model of education and organizing um and so yeah that trajectory was kind of academic science or a lot of my friends went into like the big consultancies or banks um and i think the reason i feel very passionate about creating new systems and doing things differently is definitely from a sense that I've that I have inside me that we could that we could do better that like we that life could be better and that we for everyone um, and that we could really use these tools and technologies and um, 
capabilities that I think we have as a species and what really defines us as a species is, is humanity to, to very practically, like from that very high level to actually very practically create ways of living and organizing and, and especially educating. So I'm very passionate about um, the education system needing to change just like our organizations need to change because it's actually quite like a continuum. Um, but just to chat a bit about, yeah, maybe my, well, the way I grew up was um, quite standard in some ways, but I think the thing that was a bit different was that I, I'm half English and half Hungarian. So my dad is English and my mum is Hungarian. And ever since I was tiny, we would spend summer holidays in Hungary. Um, so I, I was living in London, which is obviously like big city, quite competitive and busy and very modern. And then I would spend my summer holidays in Hungary and often spend a lot of time in nature and a lot of time, a lot of unbounded, unstructured time. Um, so yeah, we didn't have internet. We stayed with my grandparents. There was no internet. There was a lot of time for play and a lot of time for boredom. And I think that those two ingredients are are what you need for kind of creativity and, and having a lot of time to think and just think about the world and how it could be different. Um, and on top of that, my Hungarian grandparents were, um, they lived life in a very down to earth and simple way, um, which I think is, you know, part, partly a product of just being a less wealthy country. But for example, they, my grandfather grew a lot of, um, his own vegetables and fruit for our family. So he had a little allotment. And so I'd spend a lot of time with him, um, helping him in the garden and like seeing and growing carrots and plums and all of that stuff. Um, and so just seeing, I think it's like a lived experience of, um, just appreciating how, how like natural systems work, um, and then, and also just having that awareness of like, where does food come from? And, you know, if we use this with the soil, then we get better growth of vegetables and, you know, all of this stuff. So just having that relationship to growing food and the food system and nature. Um, and they were also very sustainable. So not because of any kind of trendy, like trying to be sustainable, but they had, I just remember now that they had this, like the house bin was tiny so like the bin that was in the kitchen was just this like very small bucket sized thing because they threw away so little stuff like everything was reused like jars and um plastic bags and all of that and there was a lot of home cooking and yeah so that that's kind of I think that's where I got to have a sense of just like what it feels like to be able to have creativity and space and um freedom um and a lot of space for learning and then yeah with the natural systems and biology stuff that I think that influenced me to go and study science and I had a lot of on my dad's side like in the British side of my family we have a history of people being involved in science or in like climate change like my granddad was really um one of the early people in the 1980s to be talking about climate change and the need for awareness around that. Um, so this is me rambling now, but that's like, a, there was this like quite weird mix of worlds and 
yeah, so experiencing also the culture difference between Hungary and and London and England and um, moving through these different worlds. I think that's just a big mix of like how I got into um, like systems thinking and an interest in science and all of that stuff. And then when I went to Cambridge, I was, yeah, really excited to study science and all of this stuff, but I was expecting something really different actually from the way we'd be learning. Um, Like I'd been through school, I'd jumped through all the hoops and felt like, okay, glad that that's out the way. I'm really excited now to actually like go to university and like, and study in uh, exciting ways and meet lots of people and yeah, learn and, and have a bit of an experience and then it was just extremely it was quite a big shock at how much the our life at university was geared towards just exams and how little um yeah like very little attention or care was pay, paid to like the well-being of the students there were there was a lot of mental health problems um yeah it was there was a lot of stress especially around exams and coming out of Cambridge, I had this really strong sense, like, hang on, like, I'd been really interested in science and learning about how the world works. But I didn't, I don't think I'd realized, like, how, um, how broken our systems are, like, that the education system is, is, yeah, this is, this is, Cambridge is meant to be an example of, like, one of the best places to study. And, and it was actually just really stressful. And I saw a lot of people suffering. And, um, the learning experience wasn't rich. It was very um, pressured. So coming out of that, that really influenced me of like, actually, I want to focus on helping design better systems of education. And I think that's now led to wanting to design better spaces of work and you know, places that really harness people's creativity and let them be their best selves, really. Mm. <laughs> well, no, that's great. Um, <clears throat> I. I really got this sense of from your Hungarian side freedom. I, I just picture this sun mm. countryside. You said unboundless exploration, um, boredom. You know that yeah. <laughs> there's just like so much time, mm-hmm. so much space, um, <clears throat> and also very is very much feeling based. Is like you know I I got this sense that it feel it felt you felt that country. You felt that part of your life when you were on holiday. And then you're talking about the the English side, and you, you, it sounds like you have an ancestry of scientific people. You have uh, um, a, uh, it sounds like a, a brain that works well by un- understanding complex ideas. Um, and then there's this expectation of, all right, I've gone through ticking all the boxes and jumping through the hoops at school, there's this ivory tower that is Oxbridge, uh, a place where learning, where I can expand my mind. And, and, and I wrote the words curiosity and play. That's mm. where a place where I can really understand how the world works and satisfy that curiosity. And, and really, un- but then that becoming, boom, another exam factory where you were being processed through a set of, um, set of uh, stages. And linking back to your thing about complex systems and people is like, I think of the, you know, very, if we could take a simple normal model of head, heart and guts, it was basically you, this factory was just dealing with people's heads 
Yeah. And they, they are neglecting the heart and the guts and and the idea that actually the way we perform with our heads is linked to how we feel in our bodies. Absolutely. Our, yeah, I love that. that. Guts. I've never heard someone use guts instead of hands there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still unsure. I'm, I've been reading a book called The 15 Commitments of a Conscious Leader. And, and they talk about... In terms of, they talk about emotions are from the heart and the feelings, but the gut thing seems to be something around, I don't, something deeper, like needs of some description. Mm. Still not sure what it is, but there is that bodily element to it. But I, I feel now I see the story, well, the way it comes across to me, there is this story of like, okay, I have this need for curiosity and play and understanding how the world works. I've experienced freedom and unboundedness. Uh, as a child, I appreciate the intellectual side of things, of systems, and and I can, you know, through your degree, you know, understand that there are mechanistic systems that you can use or pick stories that you can create to understand how these organic systems work. And now you've kind of rebelled about across from against the this very simple view of this is how you process people through the education system. And mm. now appreciating actually there's there must be a better way mm. absolutely and i I just had this image come to mind as you were speaking that I think growing up in the system and uh, I, I mean as we all do uh, or at least us when I speak about we, I thought it's worth pointing out obviously I'm talking about people in the West in a yeah, like I feel like we need to be really careful when I talk about we and us and actually I'm referring to a very small privileged part of the world um but yeah when I was listening to you I had this image of like the education system and then the early kind of work system is all geared towards like slowly letting you down like just slowly kind of bringing, <laughs> bringing your expectations down it's like you know factory of disappointment <laughs> exactly like first there's school and you're still kind of like oh but it's going to get better and then you go to university and you're like oh okay and then there's like the the kind of trainee you know like all of the um enter like Accenture and PNG like what what do they call them kind of like trainee programs or like early career things programs that you the go graduate on. schemes. graduate schemes that's it and slowly it's like oh okay suddenly now my life has actually just become this very boxed thing where you know I never wanted to work 16 hour days for some massive corporation that I don't even know you know what the kind of purpose of this is and yeah I just don't think humans actually are born and like wanting to do that like I don't if you do a little survey with like five-year-olds or six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or ten-year-olds none of them will say I want to work for a big corporation and that that is like making like petrochemicals like no none of them say that because no one wants that um and it's just really yeah it really pains me that that it's kind of very much wedded with our like capitalist system of you know everyone needs to make money to survive and actually like these are some of the ways you know the ways that we're conditioned to to believe these are the only ways that we can do that and make money and actually you have to be very you have to have a lot of entrepreneurs and people who do a different path and and kind of self-start come from privileged backgrounds and you know privilege can be 
in terms of money, but it can also just be, you know, having a family that really supports them, knowing that you've got a bedroom to go back to if you fail. So, yeah, I, I think that's really sad that basically the, the only people who can try and do things differently and opt out and take this more risky path are those who have privilege, really. I think it's interesting that as well as like, um, as well as the people who are even choosing that path, there seem to be still a whole load of people who still have that privilege, but aren't taking that path. Mm. Yeah. And um, you talk about, you know, what is the purpose of work? I would offer, you know, for some people, the purpose is to make money so that they can be happy. Yeah. And safe. And safe. And so um, it, 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 for me, it comes down to this idea of what is the purpose of work and business and and us what are we supposed to be doing you know, what are we mm. you know, that seems to be a theme of i understand what you're what you're concerned about is that right mm. yeah well i'd say that yeah the conversation of of the future of work and all of that does quite often go philosophical quite quickly especially with um discussions around UBI, universal basic income, and, you know, future of automation, like, it's really funny when you're talking with people, and they're like, yeah, but you know, if all this stuff is automated, then what do we do? And like, then what's the point of us? Like, it's really, really interesting to see that happen. Um, and then there's the whole conversation also happening around climate change. And I don't know if you've seen that article circulating about the four day work week being one of the best <laughs> one of the best um, solutions to climate change. It's just like, hey, if, if everybody just stopped doing so much stuff, like so much progress and consumption and, you know, all these constructs that we're in that can that convince us that we have to work really hard and push out more and more and more and that there's this growth uh, mentality, but actually that growth and all of that progress and consumption is what's killing the planet or what's leading to, you know, that's really extreme language, but what's leading to like degradation of ecosystems, pollution, um, also very much connected, I think, with mental health problems, which are on the rise. Like, I think these things are all connected. Um, and it's just really mind boggling when you just start thinking, whoa, if, if we all did stop doing what we were doing, apart from the doctors and the nurses you know, we need them. We, I think they're some of the core infrastructure that we really do need and like water sanitation, all that stuff. But if all of the rest of us actually just stopped and did much less, um, that would solve a lot of our problems, which is really, <laughs> really, really crazy to think about. So for you, all right, hearing a bit more about your journey to now, f forgetting the, the constraints and limitations of actually making this happen, what would what would I'm trying to phrase this question in the right way I'm sorry what would be an ideal way of life for you specifically for you forget the system forget think about you yeah bringing it down to me yeah. um yeah no that's 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 good to bring it back down to the personal experience i currently live life in a very like self-directed way and and like ha yeah do a lot of my own projects work collaboratively and networks there's a lot of travel running 
workshops and trainings and doing consulting, which sometimes takes me, often actually takes me abroad. Um, I think given the the planetary situation, I want, for me, I want to be traveling a lot less, uh, especially by, by plane. Um, but in terms of like how, what would be my perfect life? I think really what I've always just yearned for is flexibility. Um, because at my core, I don't really like doing the whole like solo freelancer entrepreneur life. I actually really like the idea of being part of an organization um, and having a team and working as part of a team and seeing those people like regularly every day or, you know, very, very regularly, because I think there's so much of our best work and our personal development happens with people. Um, and it's very easy when you work with lots of different people and you kind of jump around to net, to not get into that deeper work which happens when you have to work with people for a long time um but I always I remember when I worked full-time at Imperial College as a research assistant so I was working in the lab uh in a biotech lab and I was the lab technician and then I also did research and did a bit of teaching I actually really loved my way of life there like I liked going into the same place every day I liked the routine and the structure but on the side, I also had um, was working on a startup, like an education startup, and that was really, really exciting. And ideally, what I wanted was maybe like a week every month off where I could do that other work on the side or, you know, kind of more flexible, maybe two days a week or whatever it was. So I've, I definitely, my ideal life is definitely working on more than one thing um, or just having the flexibility to not be stuck in a rigid structure that actually holds me back from from doing what I I know I need to do or I'm called to do. Um, so it's yeah, I think my ideal life is a mix of of having routine and uh, familiarity and regularity and all of that. Um, I love being in nature, so living somewhere where I can. I like the city, but I want to be able to very quickly get out of the city and go climbing or swimming or whatever it is that that's my favorite way to relax and unwind is to go and do like sports in nature basically so I think that's my ideal life this is very helpful for me actually talking about this it's like oh good okay these are things I want um that's, that's beautiful <laughs> I get there was sense um so the words connection mm. uh creativity freedom um and i'm going to volunteer the word presence mm. because one of the way i look at it when i'm in nature or when i'm active i'm fully present in the moment because i'm in my body doing things yeah um and so so yeah there's i use those those words come up for me in the way i use them because of this idea of of oh from learning a lot about um NVC and nonviolent <laughs> communication and and tying I find a great model tying our feelings that, that come up to the needs that are being met or unmet mm. and using that as a guide <clears throat> in a sense to to making decisions because yeah. you know bringing back to what you said before it isn't just about the head we are more than just our brains and logical thought processes it's arguable even if we're logical but um uh, we're not just sort of thinking machines mm. so there's 
something there for me, or the way I interpret what you say is that those core needs seem to be there. I don't know if I, if I heard you correctly. Yeah, I love, I love that. I also work with NBC um, and find it really, really helpful to look for the needs below the feelings. Um, I definitely resonate with the needs that you mentioned. I think also um, groundedness or stability is another mm. need within that because I, yeah, as I said, I'm living quite a hectic, have been living quite a hectic life um, and it's been great. I've been living, I've been having a base in London at a place called Newspeak House which is a weird um, cross between a kind of co-living, co-working house and a fellowship, which is which focuses on focuses on political technology, um, and we can talk more about that. But um, essentially, that's really helped me have this place where I'm always coming back and having that familiarity and having a community. Mm. Um, it's really important, and I think I think to have a lot of people talk about this, that to really have that kind of crazy creativity and off the wall spontaneity and all of that stuff, you do need routine structure and stability to, to have that around or to, to ground that. I don't know. What, what about you? What are the things that, what's your perfect life, Carlos? <laughs> your, I, mean, I think you touched on a lot of things and I come, I come to the conclusion that we all more or less want the same things. Mm. Um, we just maybe try and get them in different ways. When you say about groundedness and and routine, I very much love the. I, well, let's put it this way: I used to think personally that I needed routine and mm. I needed stability, but I've come to think of it more for myself. It's a sense of safety mm. and and a place to uh, to recover because. Yeah. Personally, when I'm out and about and I'm doing things and we do the retreats, they're great, they're amazing, you meet loads of interesting new people, but I need time to just recharge and not have to think and not have to necessarily be creative mm. or or have an interesting conversation. And I find um, solace in the mundane of like mm. a routine. I get up, I brush my teeth. I do a bit of exercise, I make the breakfast, the kids come down, we take them to school. There's like a, a, a rhythm and a pace just, mm. just feels uh, safe, I think, because yeah. it's predictable and you know it's going to happen again and again. Mm. And so I, I expand on that word safety. It's like actually maybe it's not just the routine or maybe it isn't even the routine. It's just this sense of like oh, there's a space that I can create in my life. Um, where I feel okay I can just relax yeah yeah definitely when you talk about that kind of reminds me of the whole grandparent summer vibe that I talked about before that just that that sanity that comes with routine and yeah having that space that that creates um and so you know we have these needs uh, and we're quite complex in in how we want to address them and you know whether we create businesses or do great work um i will make it and i'm going to eventually make impact in the world because a part of it i think feels there's a sense of meaning of the, in the things that we do um i i i have the opinion that though to to really create impact most of us need to do that 
as a collective in the company of others. And I, I'm I, I'm with you, I think, in terms of what I heard you say. Is like, I get joy from working with others and feeling mm. like I'm bouncing ideas off of others, but also I'm of service to others as well as feeling supported by others. Mm. Um, and that is a clumsy way for me to think about the kind of organization or collective or way I want to work. And it isn't just about me making, you know, clocking in, clocking out, doing the same job. It's it's somehow connecting, satisfying that need for freedom, creativity, but also connection and safety. Yeah. Um, and I think those are, as you say, those are core human needs that we could really try and design for in our organizations. And it's, yeah, thinking, kind of bringing the conversation maybe to the organizational side, although I'm really enjoying this this much more personal reflection. <laughs> it's also really, really nice to talk about. Um, but yeah, when, with organizations, I, I do think it's crazy when you look at um, like the reported kind of stress-related work leave, mental health, the lack, the kind of levels of disengagement of 70% of people are you know, reported to be disengaged at work within that. I think it's the study done by um, Gallup um, that people often quote. And I think it's a bit crazy because even with a capitalist mindset, your biggest asset, the, bit, the best asset that you can extract value from in your company is your people like it's your it's the people in it like and if you take a long-term view you need to be optimizing the conditions for those people to work the best they possibly can and so it's it just seems like completely illogical that we create work environments that are toxic that don't work for people that force them to be away from their families miss out on their you know children's important events and um yeah, like it, it just doesn't seem connected to a long-term view of what's important in a company. And I think that's for me, the, this is the work in my head, is that link between what we were talking about, very much personal need or personal ideas of what we need or understanding of what we need. And then there's the needs of a collective, whether that's a company, a cooperative or a whatever organization you want to be part of so there's there's a there's a need for connection maybe a need to create impact in the world that's done by my being part of a larger group but how you do that without losing sight of your own needs Hmm. yeah yeah i like that what would what would an nvc based organization look like how do we satisfy all the needs you know what are the needs of the employees what are the needs of the shareholders what are the needs of the the mission and how do you yeah create strategies that meet all those needs and the other and that's one of the things i remember you talking about in your talk was like if the the past model of work was or you were looking work was kind of monogamy the future is polyamory i love that <laughs> i so love that i remember because that. our needs change sometimes uh, mm. And maybe our needs can get satisfied in different ways by being around different groups of people. Mm. And and it speaks to me this idea of, you know, they talk about there's no such thing as a job for life anymore. Um, that makes sense uh, for me because I feel 
my my journey of work has been very kind of eclectic and I've tried different things. The core needs have always been the same, but the way I've satisfied them have been different and and we've applied, addressed them in different ways in the different businesses we've tried to create mm. and the different types of work I've been in. So there is something there, well, I feel there's something there around amazing organizations allow people to come in and go out without feeling like you need to be stuck somewhere forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I really, that's nice that you remembered that. Um, yeah, the the future of organizations definitely needs to be polyamorous. But then also when you, when I have interacted with um, communities or people who are practicing polyamory, they often report how completely chaotic and difficult it is and how messy and so that it's actually quite interesting because as we move to these these new ways of working um just as when people try out polyamory from monogamy <laughs> hoping that this metaphor um kind of works all the way through this point but that it's that because we basically have a lot of practice and um experience with these mainstream done traditional ways of doing things often when we try the new ways it can be really hard and um you know we can tend towards when it's a new thing we rigidly follow that new thing and we're not flexible because it's new and we're learning our way uh just like with nbc when you first start using nbc sometimes it can be quite mechanical and kind of like well i feel this because i have a need for this and therefore i request that you do this and it's it's just it's all it, what i'm the point i'm trying to make is that just like with relationships, I think in ways of working, trying new ways of doing things is always going to be hard and we need to respect our learning process, that it's not going to work for everyone and that different people may need to do it in different ways. And, you know, for some people, maybe they want to stay monogamous in their work. Maybe they want to work at one organization for kind of 20, 30 years um, and maybe for others, you know, that there'll be a whole spectrum. But what I really like about that metaphor is that we need to move away, I think, in work, just like in relationships, from a one-size-fits-all way of doing things. And so just allowing people to build the life they want, just as you asked me, what kind of life do you want? Like, yeah, empowering more people to work, you know, maybe some work with the companies or the people or the projects they really want to because that's where their best work is going to happen where they have that passion and that will and the feeling of freedom because my freedom is different to your freedom and your freedom might be working in an office every day. <laughs> so freedom doesn't have to look like working for 20 different projects at once. Um, it's just having the power to choose and to make it work for you. And then that brings the, that brings it all back to kind of being human and to having this kind of human way of doing things because you know this human will have has a two-year-old baby and wants to start working at midday because they've been up all night and this other human is you know likes to work outside and we're trying to force everyone into this rigid way of doing things and I think it's lazy and it's also not working <laughs> so yeah I'm excited for a for a future of work that's flexible that uses intelligent design that that puts its people first and actually tries to make it work for people instead of trying to make people work for it. 
so I think well, while you were talking there, the thought came up. Um, there's a quote of someone someone who came to Altitude a couple of years ago. He said something around along the lines of, "There's no professional development without pro- personal development." Mm. And then on an earlier podcast, um, a woman called Christina Keesley, she um, mentioned the idea in terms of leaders that um, the idea of the law of the lid in terms an organization can only go as far as the leader has traveled. Mm. Um, And so if I expand that to the idea that we're all leaders, because many people who are listening to this are are like thinking of starting their own business or being a freelancer or a a solopreneur, as uh, I've heard it called, um, we all want to lead, um, but to lead, we need to understand ourselves. We need to grow as people as well. Mm. Uh, And part of that growth is, and this is where I bring it back again, back to NVC, is like by knowing ourselves better and how we work and what feelings arise based on what needs are being met or unmet, then we are able to know other people or understand other people better or have Mm. the tools to understand people better so that we can then resolve differences or work better together. Mm. So, So where I'm trying to bring it around is like to is this idea that Work isn't just about production and creating more stuff or services. It feels like it's also a journey of, well, I feel it should be a journey of self-discovery mm. and understanding ourselves better so that we we create the best work in the best way for us and A, celebrate the differences, but also understand where which environments we will thrive in and which environments we have to say, no, it doesn't work for us. Mm. Yeah, I really like that point. It connects, that connects to the work that I'm doing with kind of horizontal organizations and that horizontal organizations happen through horizontal leadership. So everybody, you, everybody's stepping up into personal leadership, which is very, very different to the model of having a leader at the top and everybody else just doing what they say. You actually move to a model where everybody practices what, what is being preached. So there's no way of, yeah, you can't work without personal development in that model where everybody steps up into leadership and understands their blockages and their patterns. And and also the other half of that is like, it's not about, it's personal leadership and personal development, but actually it's collectively held. So it's like, you still have that whole system side of it that it's not on just on the individual to do their development in organizations of the future. I really hope, and I'd like to see these kind of horizontal organizations where everybody has more account kind of responsibility and agency and and self-leadership, but that as a collective or as a team or as an organization, that journey of development is held together and that we support each other in that learning and that we, you know, we catch conflicts before they happen and, you know, moving away from seeing conflicts as things that happen between two people, but actually things that are systemic. So again, like collectively holding conflicts and conflict resolution instead of putting it all on the individual and, and yeah, having these situations that make people miserable. So one of the things I'm really curious at, about when you're talking about, I think you're, 
talking about conflict um, and this idea of a collective responsibility to how we, the way I understood it, is a collective responsibility how we how we act together or, or behave with each other. Um, we you know the Happy Startup School for us is a community, and we're trying to build a community here. And mm. I've um, I've talked to a number of community builders, uh, understanding what they think, what they mean about community, how they define community. And one of the definitions I love, which I think triggers some people and, and, and some don't really get it, is at the core of it, a community is a place where you are deeply seen and deeply loved. Aww. <laughs> nice and that for me you know that i i that gives me a warm fuzzy feeling um but in this age where the, i think the word community is overused uh, and bandied around a lot it, it doesn't sometimes people just don't get it in terms of no that's not that's not community there's you know you have other types of community but i i i, I mentioned that because for me i think an organization of the future, whether it's a small startup or a large I don't know, corporate, for want of a better term, but a larger organization with many more people, is a community. Or well, I would like it to be a community. Mm. And I would like it to be a place where I'm deeply seen and deeply loved because it's a place that I feel I'm valued, but also where the place cares for me. And because of that, I will do my best work and I will contribute in the best way I can. I don't, does that make sense with you? Or does that... Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I am careful around the word love uh, just because I could imagine some people hearing this and running a mile <laughs> because of <laughs> yeah, like lots exactly. of connotations and also because you know commu- some people associate community with like cult or tribalism and I also respect that some people don't want to kind of be part of a club, like this feeling of being part of a club or needing to act a certain way to be in an in-group or whatever. I'm not saying that that's what you, you're, yeah, what you're envisioning, but I'm just wondering um, how the kind of diversity of what that brings up for people. Um, and I work with someone called Samantha Stade, who recently published the book Going Horizontal, and we've been working together on doing trainings and workshops around this. And I really like something she says, which is that in organizations, we want to aim for um, fellowship, which is a bit different to friendship. That You don't have to be friends with your colleagues, but there is this idea that actually, you know, you're working towards a common goal and a common mission and having a shared culture and caring for each other, like care bringing care into organizations. And, and I would agree with community as well in, in that community is a very wide term. But yeah, in a sense, like bringing community into that as well. But really pointing out that, that fellowship is a bit different to friendship and, and really rests upon mutual respect and care and not necessarily like being best friends and yeah, being really close necessarily in terms of knowing everything about each other. Yeah. Well, I think what what you've you've made me aware of again and just brought me back is this is a complex thing. And mm. it's not it's not easy to just say this is how work should work and it will be dependent it's, it's a co well the way I understand you you're saying is it, it has to be opt-in and it has to be co-created and it has to suit the people who are in it. Um, and so there's no no one no one size fits all, you know. 
going back to what you were saying about how traditional work seems to be working. Um, so what I'd like to um, maybe finish off on and, and, maybe, and essentially giving the listener something to, to maybe take away and think about. Um, so there's two types of people I'm thinking about here. There's, there's the person who maybe is like either just starting their business and trying to picture what kind of place of work that they want to create. They want to be creative. They want to, in inverted commas, have some kind of flat horizontal structure. They mm-hmm. appreciate, well, actually, let's put it together, bring it back home. Like myself and Lawrence, we hate having to manage people because when we think of management, we think of just this box, tick, box ticking, following up on people, making sure that they've done their work approach to management. And that's something that neither of us have the time or energy for. But we really appreciate the need to have people on board who can forward, push forward our mission because Lawrence and I on our own, we're not going to be able to um, to create or to grow our business or to serve, actually even growth, to serve our community and serve the people that we want to serve in the best way possible if it's just us two. Mm. But at the same time, we don't have the... the um, the motivation or the inclination to use the structures that we see at the moment or that we're aware of at the moment or mm. how it ta- what it takes to build a company. So, yeah, if you were talking to myself and Lawrence, what? And people like us who want to grow but at the same time don't know how to without going down the structured hierarchical route, is there anything that we could think about? Mm. that's that's great it's great to hear that people who are listening might be interested in this way of working as well I mean I guess that's obvious um but speaking to you and Lawrence I think I think it's really important to design if we're designing for complexity to design with specific context in mind so there are there are all sorts of kind of set menu options of, of different ways of doing governance and management so there's there's stuff like holacracy and which i know about and have worked with and there's it's very set and defined and it's a structure um so there are these set structures that you can use that are kind of alternative management structures so i would recommend um you know having a look at some of these other ways of, of more rigid alternative ways of doing things also sociocracy as a way of doing decision-making, for example, in your organization. But I think where it gets interesting is where you actually design for your specific context. So, you know, what kind of, yeah, what going through these different areas, like how do you want to do decision-making? What are the kind of values? I mean, the, the word values is really sometimes associated with this kind of corporate culture, like, oh, our values are this, this, and this, and, you know, actually it doesn't translate into anything, but really looking at defining early on um, implicitly what values you as a founder or, you know, you and your co-founder are bringing to the table, because I think in this kind of design process, the more you can make explicit, the more you can work with what's there, and if there are things that are, if there's culture or there's patterns there that you know, you don't necessarily like, as long as it's explicit, you can actually work with that. So kind of making explicit, what are the values that are really important to you? Reading about other ways of of doing 
things like holacracy, like going horizontal, like Frederick Leloux's reinventing organizations, reading these accounts of kind of other companies and, and case studies of, of other um, people and organizations that have done things differently. And then starting to, yeah, really think about your specific context and look at decision-making and how you want to do finances and how you want to do transparency. Um, within Going Horizontal, which is um, this this body of work that I that I use as a framework for the rest of the work I do. So pulling, I pull in a lot of different um, domains and practices and, and like case studies, but I find going horizontal has this really nice seven domain structure that starts with autonomy. So how are you going to create an organization that gives its people autonomy? And what does that look like? And how far can you kind of push that? And what, what feels too risky? Like, are you going to let people... Um, work from home when they want to or can they work from home a certain number of days every week or you know how what about like culture around meetings like should will meetings be compulsory or is it self um, decide self-decided uh, attendance you know these kind of things so how are you going to work with autonomy but the next one is purpose so what you know what is the purpose of the company and how can you bring purpose into into every um interaction and make purpose really explicit and align things behind purpose so that in non-hierarchical companies and uh, teams purpose becomes this invisible leader so without having a kind of top-down system if everyone in the team is clear on their purpose and and the purpose of their team and the company then things become a lot easier um i don't i'm i don't know how long we wanted to talk for but i'm just wondering on timing how mm-hmm. I'm okay on timing to keep going on this. Yeah, no, no, uh, yeah, but I think it would be useful for people to 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 be able to maybe if you want to summarize those. Is another yeah. is there seven of them. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try and be a bit more speedy. Um, the third domain is meetings. So again, it's really funny. Like usually, when you start a company, you don't think at all. How am I going to run? How are we going to run meetings? But actually, meetings are sort of like the dojo of horizontal practice and actually culture setting like the way a company runs their meetings is very very symptomatic of the culture in that organization um so whether you yeah well how you want to run them are you going to have somebody facilitate meetings are you going to rotate that facilitator are you going to send out an agenda beforehand you know does everybody need to be in every meeting um for example Percolab, uh, which is the company that Samantha started and is part of in Percolab, every um, people are, are expected to show up to 70% of team meetings. And apart from that, they can decide when um, and how they show up, whether it's through Zoom, like video conferencing or in person. So thinking about all of that. And then fourth domain, I think, is um, transparency. So I think actually, in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting and important Um, parts of designing organizations for complexity because if you want to build a system that works without a top-down leader people need to be able to access information Um, and actually access to information and transparency is also one of the ways that you um, can best create a culture of fairness and a feeling of openness that things are not being hidden from you you're not being manipulated or lied to within the company so thinking about you know where are the areas in the company where we can default to an open, transparent 
way of working. Like, are people going to know each other's salaries, um, especially around this relationship with money? You know, how are we going to set salaries and how do we make sure that if it is a kind of self-setting salaries that we create ways of um, encouraging people or women, for example, like historically women will, in a self-setting salary situation, women are um, sometimes struggle with negotiation. Um, and so creating these ways where you can, um, yeah, empower everyone in the organization um, in those in those situations. Um, then from transparency, there's decision making, really, really key and core what models of decision-making are you going to use? There are things like sociocracy. Um, there are different forms of decision-making. There's the advice process. There's consent-based decision-making. There's consensus. And usually decisions are all just made in you know, meetings. And maybe there's some awareness around who should be in what decision. But definitely, very rarely do I see uh, organizations working consciously with different forms of decision-making. Um, and then lastly, we have learning and development, which I think is really, really key. What are the opportunities for learning that you're going to um, kind of embed in the organization to make sure that people have um, opportunities to learn and keep growing? Um, and for some organizations, that looks like setting aside some pot of money for each person in the company to spend on their own learning. Um, again, in Percolab, I think it's a really nice example where basically every person in the company receives 7% of their salary to spend on their own learning and personal development. Um, but how they spend that 7% is not defined at all. So the only thing that's expected is that after you've spent your budget, you come prepared to kind of present to the group what you did and what you learned. So for some people, that is going on training courses, but for someone else, it might look like going on a parachuting like lesson or like skydiving and then explaining why that was really key to their personal development, which I really love. Um, and, you know, and then in, on the other hand, how do you kind of embed learning into the culture of the organization? So really simple things like doing regular feedback rounds within an organization can be really key to uh, learning and then the final of the seven domains is conflict and relationships which is often the most thorny topic and the one that yeah people struggle with most in organizations so creating i mean nvc non-violent communication is really really effective as a toolkit for deep for kind of helping diffuse conflicts and having just the language and skills to navigate these difficult situations that can happen at work. Um, so deciding on how you're going to kind of design your system for dealing with conflicts that happen and actually not just dealing with conflicts when they happen, but how are you going to do things in your company that build um, what we like to call a social field so whether that's doing a check-in every day at the beginning of the day or just a brief check-in in meetings um, or, you know, having some days away together on like an annual team retreat or whatever it is, these are all things that can strengthen that non-work side of things and that and kind of strengthen relationships so that trust increases and, and people, you know, find themselves in more trustful relationships, so more equipped to deal with difficult situations. So those are the seven domains. Um, 
and I yeah that that's where I would start is kind of think through all of those and and find out how other people are doing things differently and then mix and match and start to evolve and iterate and and learn actually once you get people into your company what is it that they want to do differently that's great I th- the, when I was listening to you though there's it feels like there's some uh, there's work there to look inside and mm. what is it that I want and this what is it that I need in terms of this environment that I want to work on and then understanding that what are the who's doing it at the moment the thing that mm. I need and want and what can I learn from then to then influence how I create this this environment for myself and the people who want to work with me. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds that sounds good. Wow, I could talk for ages on this. You know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm share. also conscious of people share. listening <laughs> who, um, who who now have a lot of input to process. Mm. Um, but maybe there's a there's a um, episode two that we have to do on this and maybe dive deeper a bit but I'm very very grateful for your time um, and and also your wisdom and 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 knowledge Um, and is there anything this is the shameless promotion part of the podcast Um, so standard stuff if people want to get in touch with you where would you like to point them to Mm, yeah so definitely available on Twitter, email. So my Twitter is at uh, Phoebe. My handle is just Phoebe Tickell, just my name. Um, also, Telegram uh, is the same. Um, hang on, actually, sorry. I recently changed my Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is now solarpunk underscore girl. So I'm, I'm very into the solarpunk movement. So solarpunk underscore girl. And my email is phoebe.tickell at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to see more about the work I do, I have a website, which is just phoebetickell.com. Um, yeah. And when you said shameless promotion, we are organizing within Inspiral, which I haven't really talked about much, but Inspiral is this very radical, non-hierarchical network and organization that I'm part of. And we're organizing our first ever Inspiral org academy, um, which is basically going to be like a training to share some of our inner practices and wisdom and stories and stuff and that's happening in september um so keen to share about that and keen to have people share it our website's just inspiralorgacademy.co thanks for thank you thanks for the opportunity to share that well i'll put those links in the show notes um and if there's anything else that you'd like to share that we can add those to you send them across awesome well uh enjoy the rest of this well, it was a beautiful sunny day here. I hope you have a restful July. Mm, um, thank you. And and not get too caught up in the, the demands of a solopreneur. Um, and, yeah, and, and look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, massive, massive thank you. It was a really great conversation and hope to speak again soon. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, thehappystartupschool.com. If you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement, and if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change makers and entrepreneurs who want to make money, do good, and be happy, then please come join our community. 
We offer courses, conversations and content that will help you follow your own path to success. Whether you're just starting out, struggling to grow your business or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next. There's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed. And from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September, we're hosting our Happy Startup Summer Camp. While we know that strictly isn't summer, the event also isn't just for startups. At its core, Summer Camp is about learning, play and friendship. We want to promote personal growth in business. We advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative. And we know that we can't create impact on our own. We need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as Blingo Bingo, Botanical Brew Making, Yoga, Mindful Raving, Saunas, Hot Tubs, Lake Swimming, Japanese Sword Fighting, Qigong Breathing and Dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about Summer Camp, please go to happystartupsummer.camp. Business doesn't have to be boring and it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.